You're not the boss of me. How many of you ever said that? You're not the boss of me. To a brother or a sister or a playmate on the playground. You're not the boss of me. I think that should be the theme song of the American culture to God. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now. And you're not so big. I think that's the very song America is singing to God. Father, we invite you to come now as we consider your word and the power of it in our lives. This stuff was written a long time ago, Lord, but we love the way you come in the power of your Holy Spirit and you reconstitute it as life in front of us, Lord. As though you were just thinking it or as though you were thinking it just for us. So, Lord, I've already done my studying and I've done my thinking and I've done my planning and so now I set it all aside for you and whatever you want to say to your beloved family here. I thank you for every person here, Lord. Thank you for every person equally. I believe we're here by your design and so we surrender now into all that you have for us, be they things that encourage us or things that challenge us, we surrender to what your Spirit says through the speaking of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to continue this morning with the last of a few messages, a couple messages in the Soul Care series. Pastor Rob and I, we've been working through the summer in a series called Soul Care, and our hope has been to introduce you or reintroduce you to the classical spiritual disciplines that have been practiced by Christians for centuries as ways of taking care of their souls. Because your soul, and by that I simply mean that eternal part of you, is the most important part of you. It's the most important part of you. It's the part that requires the most care, and it's the part that's going to live forever. Because your body's going to stop. You're going to die. Your body is going to stop. In fact, there's someone in this room right now who will be the next one of us to die. Your body's going to stop. But the Bible says in Ecclesiastes that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. He's made you as an eternal thing. And that's the part that goes on. And if we do our study right, we'll be resurrected. And all these things, those are details. The reality is we want to help you here at the vineyard. We want to help you take care of your soul. We understand that there are other parts of your life that are so important, but nothing is more important than the care of your soul. So we've been talking about these things like simplicity and solitude and stillness and silence and submission and confession and all of these kinds of things that are sometimes called the classical spiritual disciplines. Our hope has been 
has been to equip you to take care of your soul. Now, what you've done with them, I don't know. I can't follow you around and know if you actually do any of this stuff, but it'll show up sooner or later. It'll show. The last message I preached, which was a few weeks ago, my hope was to persuade you that in the consistent practice of these disciplines that we actually are taken into a place of freedom. Freedom. That doing these things, incorporating these disciplines in our lives, it it, it doesn't restrict us at all. In fact, it sets us free from the things of this earth that keep that spirit man, that person inside you from really living. And so you're delivered into a kind of a a true freedom. A freedom from superficiality, a freedom from self-centeredness, and praise God, a freedom from slavery to habitual sin. There are people, when they see this idea of mine here, they they want to skip right to number three and say, Tom, that's really what I want. I, I, I'm doing stuff that I know isn't pleasing to God. It's not healthy in my life. And I'm just here for you to show me how to stop doing that stuff. And in reality, we have systems and structures in place that can give you temporary relief from those things. But until you pass through these first two ovals, you're not going to have lasting relief from the first one. Because until you pass through the relationship with the Lord that causes you to be freed from the superficiality that there's a deeper level of all this stuff, until you get through the superficiality, you're going to be measuring your whole spiritual experience on the basis of whether or not you're happy. Because that's what superficiality is about, right? Am I happy? And the disciplines come and say, There's, there are more important things than happiness. And we have people moving from church to church to church to church because they, they stick a while and then they're not happy. I love it when people come here and they say to me, Oh, Tom, this is the church I've been looking for all my life. And I just say to them, Yeah, stick around a little while. Well... We have plans to disappoint you, I promise. <laughs> we, we, it happens 100% of the time. That's the one thing I can guarantee you. I'm going to say something that's going to tick you off. And I didn't do it on purpose, and I wasn't just thinking about you, but... <laughs> the spiritual disciplines cut through our happiness. You know, one of the spiritual disciplines is fasting. And when I fast, I am not happy. I am hungry. I don't care what all these great writers go, oh yeah, you'll not be hungry anymore after this amount of time and you'll be happy. That ain't true for me. I am, I am hungry every meal I miss. I am hungrier. But I discover that something important happens when I practice that and I, when I make my happiness not the, not the target. Deeper things happen. Until we move into the second oval off of the throne of our own lives, which is self-centeredness. I am the center of all things. 
then we will only gain momentary victories into and short-lived successes with respect to the sin patterns of our lives. But you didn't come for an idea. You didn't come for a gimmick. You came for transformation, didn't you? You came here because you want to be different when you get back in your car. Today I want to talk for a little while about freedom from self-centeredness. How do we do that? How, what do the disciplines have to do with freeing ourselves from self-centeredness? Because what happens is when we go through that first oval and we're free from superficiality, we get into a deep place and we get into the presence of God and the light comes on and I don't know what you see, but I'm not always happy with how I look there. And I become aware of some stuff That's got to change, Lord. If I'm ever going to be useful in your hand, uh, that's got to change. We'll talk about freedom from self-centeredness. To do that, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah. That's an Old Testament prophet for those of you guys who are newer, but it's a big one, so that's good. So it's a lot of pages. So as you're flipping through there wondering where it is, you'll see it. Isaiah chapter 55, and we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 9 together. We'll have that up on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible. There it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. That's what you want, right? You want the Lord. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way. That's what you want to do, right? Let the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Boy, that's good news, isn't there? Isn't it? To know that there's pardon in the blood of Christ, to know there's pardon in the cross of Christ, that we can be pardoned for our sins, that's exceptionally good news, and news that we depend on, and it's true. I have a concern about this, and this could sound scandalous, and could be misinterpreted as heretical, but I think in the American culture, we are in danger of overstating the sufficiency of the cross of Jesus Christ. You say, how could you possibly overstate the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that the shedding of his blood was a perfect payment? How could you possibly overstate that? I fear that we're at a place in the American church where we are so emphasizing the sufficiency of the cross in that realm that it has become a stopping point. And so that people are coming to the cross with their list of sins and receiving the mercy of God and the blood of Christ with every intention of coming back next week with the same list. Knowing that in Christ is all the forgiveness of sins. The cross of Jesus Christ is not a stopping place, it's a beginning It's the beginning of what Jesus said, now come to me, come to me, and then take up your cross and follow me. There's a walk to be walked. And the scripture goes on, and he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
Freedom from self-centeredness comes as we surrender to the truth that God's thoughts and God's ways are higher than our thoughts and our ways. What's happening in the American culture right now and in the American church is we're saying, yes, I know what God thinks about this because I've read it in the Bible. I've studied it in the Bible. I know what God thinks and says about this. I know what his thoughts are, but here are my thoughts. Here are my thoughts on the matter. And here is why it's okay for my thoughts to be different from God's thoughts. That's self-centeredness, isn't it? That's putting ourself in the center. And we get freedom from self-centeredness when we come to the place of saying, as difficult as it is, I, I now see and hear what your thoughts and your ways are and I surrender to them in spite of the fact that it goes straight against my human nature. And it's at this point that we surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We sing that he's Lord, yeah? We've got great Lord songs. We say that he's Lord. We put it on little bumper stickers and fridge magnets. We don't surrender to it until we say, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are higher than my ways. And if you will, I hear American Christians coming to God and saying, I know what your thoughts are, I know it, but these are my ways. And I, I, I can almost hear God saying, I don't care. I don't need your opinion. That's not how this is going to roll. He has the answer. He has the life. It's got to be his way. And our refusal to do this is part of our defiance as a human race, and more specifically as an American culture, to bow to the lordship of Jesus. At the very heart of our unwillingness or inability to truly surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives is this hideous thing called self-centeredness. You come by it naturally. You're born that way. You got it from your mom and dad who got it from their mom and dad who got it from Adam and Eve. It's called original sin. Well, think about it. Think about it. God made Adam and Eve, put them in the garden, said, I've made all this for you. You can do anything you want. You can have any of it except for this. Those are my thoughts on the matter. Those are my ways on the matter. Not long afterward, the devil comes into the garden and says to Eve, what? Did God really say? Did God really say? I mean, look at it. You have a brain, Adam and Eve. You have a brain. Surely God expects you to think this through. Did he really say? And instead of they're saying, yes, that's what he said, and his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts than ours. They said, yes, that's what he said, but here's what we think about that. And it ruined everything. And here we are. These thousands of years later, born at the center 
of all things in our minds. Self-centeredness causes huge problems in our lives. Self-centeredness is what causes some of you to want to control others. Some of you have a problem with this. You need to control people around you. You lay on your pillows at night writing scripts for people, don't you? And isn't it frustrating when you go to them and they don't know their part of the script? And then when you try to teach them the script that you've written for them, how annoyed they become? You see, it's self-centeredness that causes us to say, I know what's best for everybody and I'm going to control. You see, when Jesus Christ comes and moves us off of the throne of our own lives and takes control of our lives, it becomes immediately obvious, I don't want to control anybody. I want to spend my days telling people what Jesus is saying so that he can control them. And whatever happens after that, that's good with me. Self-centeredness is also what causes some of you to be crippled under the weight of the opinions of others. Some of you are crippled. You're paralyzed under the weight of the opinions of others. And you're constantly assessing, well, I wonder what they meant by that. Boy, social media is just really helpful in that regard too, isn't it? Especially the what I'd never say to your Facebook thing, right? Come on. Especially the Instacrap. That's killing us. And those of you guys have this problem, they're like, oh, I wonder what they meant by that. And you become crippled, crippled by what people think, well, your perception of people's opinions of you because you're at the center of the thing. And you need to preserve this center. And you do that by trying to keep everybody happy. Question how well is that working out for you so far? And when you, when you get to that place where you step off the throne and truly authentically invite the Lordship of Jesus to take the control panel and people say this or that about you, you just think, well, it sucks to be them. I don't care. I really don't care. I care what Jesus thinks about me. And I find if I attend to that, and I'm truly responsive to the sometimes encouraging and sometimes terribly convicting voice of Jesus Christ in my life, but when I'm truly responsive to that, then this other stuff has a way of working itself out. One thing's for sure, I'm never going to make everybody happy around here. And if I haven't pissed you off yet, I just did. Just get that out of the way. It's the consistent practice of the spiritual disciplines that were released from this worldly mindset and transformed into the mindset of God, of Jesus. Romans 12, too. Anybody know it? Anybody read Romans? Anybody read the Bible? Oh, Lord, I don't know how to help them. They don't read the Bible. Romans 12, too, says, Do not conform any longer to the... Anybody know it? The pattern of this world, okay, so the, you got a pattern, but it says, but be transformed, thank you, Marie, be transformed, she's been with me 24 years, she's reading her Bible, okay, transformed by the renewing 
of your minds. So God wants to do something in the hard drive, in the minds, in the operating system. He wants to renew it. And a major part of that is in verse 1, where it says that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, so that we actually sacrifice our position of self-centeredness and invite Jesus to take the spot. And in that place, we will no longer conform to the pattern of this world, but will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Anybody want some of that? I have some recommended reading for you to do, some, some scriptures, John chapter 13, Jesus blew everybody's minds, didn't he, by doing what? Washing their feet, exactly, that was a game changer for the disciples, and then afterwards he said, he said this, he said, you call me master, you call me teacher and Lord, he said, and he said, and that's right, because that's what I am. But he said, you can't call me teacher and Lord and not do the things that I say. And now that you've seen me wash feet, you need to spend the rest of your lives washing as many feet as you can. So he says, you can't call me Lord. Stop saying Lord if you're not going to do it. That's what he's saying. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Many of you learned this as part of an evangelistic strategy. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Savior, nice guy, teacher, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Focus on that a while. Philippians chapter 2, since because of what Jesus did, that God gave him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue confess, every, every confess that what? Jesus Christ is. Would you take some time this week and soak in those passages? Don't hurry. hurry. Put the kids to bed. Turn off TV. You don't need to be watching Will and Grace or whatever's on these days anyway. Is that still on? Just turn it off. Sit in the presence of the Lord and His Word. If you want uh, some other, I was going through my minds, minds, it's probably more accurate, my mind this week, (laughs) sorry, didn't mean to be that transparent, Uh, (laughs) I was going through my mind this week about books I've read, you know, that really help us understand in a contemporary way what the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and one of my favorites, one of yours, Tom, Radical by David Platt, that's a game changer, isn't it, that'll mess with your head. That'll mess with your head. And if, check out his website, but don't do it if you're happy and if you like being happy. Don't do it if you're going to stick on the superficial oval. Just don't do it. I'm, I'm warning you. Some of you are going to start selling your stuff and give it to the poor. You're going to stop caring about things that the world tells you to care about. Don't do it. I'm warning you. You know, this whole thing about the lordship of Jesus and getting out of self-centeredness is about bowing to the reality that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that His ways are higher than our ways, and that it really doesn't matter what we think about it if we're not surrendered to His thoughts and His ways. I want you to think about it like this. Supposing that you had a pain in your side that required surgery. 
Sorry, Dr. Macklin, I'm probably going to screw this up. But let's say you have, you have some kind of pain in your abdomen that, that hurts so badly, and, and, and the doctor comes in and says, well, we've discovered the problem. The surgeon comes in and says, the, the problem is simply this, is that your gallbladder is diseased, it's non-functional, it's actually hurting you now, and if it, if it ruptures, you could die. And, and the surgeon says, so we need to take you into the operating room and take that out. And you get that word from the surgeon and you go, you know, I've been reading up on abdominal pain. And I've kind of been thinking that this could be my spleen, actually. I don't even know where your spleen is, but this could be my spleen. And I just think, from my perspective, doctor, I know you've been to school, all that, you know, but uh, from my perspective, I think maybe if you took the spleen out, it would be better than the gallbladder. That's what we're doing with Jesus. Supposing you're in the airline or you're, you're flying and you're coming from a long distance and you're flying into Columbus and as they're making their approach and stuff, you go over your house. And supposing you just say, oh, I got to get word to the pilot. I don't know, I have any idea how you would do this. The illustration kind of breaks that down now because you can't go knock on the door of the pilot's little door, room there anymore. Don't do that, whatever you do, Okay. But supposing you're going over your house and you want to get this message to the pilot. I know, sir or madam, I know that you have been trained to use an actual runway, but we're so near my house. The road looks clear. I know you think this, but I'm kind of thinking it would be so much more convenient for me if we could just put her down on enough road there. Their thoughts are higher than our thoughts, right? Imagine a football coach calls in the play and somebody says, I know that's what the coach said. But I'm thinking I'm going to do this. And he does something that he thinks is better than what the coach calls in. What happens after that play? And the player says, I know, coach, I know you've been doing this like for 30 years or whatever, you know, I know. You, I know where your thoughts were on calling that play in, but I was thinking if I did this, it would be better. This is what we're doing with Jesus all the time. We study our Bibles. We search the Scriptures to get our opinions. We gloss over the clear stuff. Say, God, I know that's what you're saying. And in doing that, every single time, the serious issues that we face as individuals and as a society can be traced back to our refusal to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And what we're doing is we're saying, I know this is what you're saying about it, 
but here's how it's going to have to work for me. And we read our Bibles and we see how God says to spend our money and to tithe and to be generous people and these kinds of things. We see that in the Bible and we say, yeah, God, I know that's what your thoughts, but you know, here's where I am on that. We do the same thing in our culture with our sexuality. We say, yeah, I know, God, I know, I know, I know that what you said here is that sexual intimacy is meant to be between a man and a woman inside of a committed marriage. I know that's what you say. But here's what I say. Here's why I allow myself to be promiscuous. Here's why I allow myself to be homosexual. Here's why I allow myself to permit pornography in my life. And in doing that, we're saying, I know what you're saying, but here's what I think. And we are refusing the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you say, I know what God says about praying together. I know. Oh, prayer. It's so important. It seems like it's really big to you, God. I know that you call people to come together and pray, and that when they do, things happen. But here's why I don't go to the prayer meetings of the church. Here's why I don't maintain a disciplined prayer life. And when we make that exception, we're saying, I know what you're saying, but here's what I think. God doesn't care what you think. We say, I, I know God says that we should serve, that, that we'll find joy in life in serving Him with our gifts. I know in this church there are so many opportunities to serve. I know that God calls me to serve. Then why, ladies and gentlemen, are we facing a critical shortage in our children's ministry for a quarter that starts two weeks from now? Why is that unless people are saying, I know what you're saying, God, but here's why I'm not going to do it. I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too busy. And I'm just saying, I hope none of you are planning on singing our last song about His ways and our ways and He's Lord and not find Heather Fleck and say, how can I help you in your children's ministry next quarter? I hope you're not sitting there saying, I'm sure glad we prayed for those little tykes as we sent them off into the evil world. And not take your connection card and put your name on it and say, children's ministry, call me. We're not being called to sing songs unless we're walking the walk. I know the Bible says Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I know that's what your thoughts are, your ways are on the matter, Lord, but you don't know this woman I'm married to. I know the Bible says that in Christ there's neither Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female or black or white, but here's why I permit a passive racism in my life. 
Some of you are saying, that's how I was raised. Well, wake up, you were raised wrong. And the devil is trying to systematically weaken this country by division. I know I'm supposed to lock my shields with my brothers. I know I'm supposed to be living in fellowship with people, people who know me. They know my life. I know I'm supposed to be more than just an attender. I know I'm supposed to do that. I know that's what your word says, Lord. But here's why it's not a good time for me right now. Every time. You, you, maybe you got something else in your blank. But every time time we come back with our opinion over God's, we are defiantly refusing to bow to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I have a word from the Lord for you I received this morning. It's a simple word. Are you ready? You are not the center. Father, we invite you to come. I have no interest in being a good church, Lord. I have no interest in developing a good method. I only have interest in presenting people to you in the school of discipleship of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. So I just give them to you now, Lord. You've dealt with me on some stuff this week to get to this point, Lord, and I've surrendered. Spent a week with you in silence. It was a long week, Lord. Now I want for them what you give to me. Because I know it's what they want, Lord. I know the devil has given them appetites for happiness and comfort. I'm just getting through. But I know that you are God of much, much, much greater things than that. God, as a church, we have some things we're good at and some things we're not very good at. But I like to think that what we're best at is just stopping and letting you be God. So would you come and be God among us? I want to ask you as we do sing and respond to God, I want to ask you guys to see if the Lord will speak something to you, something real practical. I don't want you just to have this feeling of, I'm going to straighten up and fly right. It's going to be different from now on, and about 4 o'clock this afternoon, you'll be on to something else. I don't want that. I want you to, I want you to ask God to show you something practical, something functional, something that could be done. You could say, in in doing that, I would not be saying, I know what you say, but this is what I say. And then I want to just encourage you to respond to him from your heart. Here at the vineyard, as you may know, you can move about, you can come up and kneel if you like, or whatever you want to do. I'm not going to have a prayer ministry team come this morning. I think this is an important morning for each person just to meet with the Lord on the subject of lordship, okay? Church, shall we stand?